Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer, and broadcaster. And frankly, it all began for me on March the 1st, 1985, when I interviewed one of my first music heroes, Leonard Cohn. And that one-hour conversation left me feeling so transcendent, I decided that I must track down more of my music heroes to talk with. Thus began a career that would lead to me interviewing roughly 1,400 celebs, not all of whom, I hasten to add, were my music heroes, but many were. One of these interviewees was Neil Diamond, whose music I'd loved since my mid-teens. I interviewed Neil for the first time at a press conference in 1989, then four years later over the phone for the Irish Times. But the interview you're about to hear comes from the master tape of a radio show I recorded in Neil's studio in New York. I've already uploaded onto all major podcast servers and YouTube as part of my podcast series, the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast, the first part of this chat with Neil. And I was truly thrilled to find that so many Neil Diamond fans not only loved the conversation, but took the time to respond to me via comments on YouTube, Facebook, and so on. I thank those who did. It helps to know that one is not broadcasting or podcasting to silence. By the way, if you want to read some of the articles I wrote about Neil, I will be uploading them soon onto my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com. Okay, so I just want to, um, we're moving in. I want to talk a wee bit about um, the live shows you do. They, they, they've always had this kind of, I know gospel you said, and I said at the start of the show, was an influence. It's one of the musics you heard back in Brooklyn. Yeah. But you very much structured your shows, and a lot of your fans and a lot of critics write about your shows as a traveling salvation show. I mean, how much of that is a kind of conscious decision? If music is the solace in Shiloh for Neil Diamond, where and when did you identify, I can actually make people transcend everything? During concerts. I mean, was that back in the 60s or was it later? Uh, I think uh, it was a little bit later before I really knew what I was... Uh, at the beginning, you just go out and you hope that it, they don't throw things at you, you know. And uh, after a number of years, you get a chance to sit back from it and look at it and say, you know, this is what I'm trying to do. And I always wanted to leave the audience up, you know, feeling good, feeling hopeful, feeling optimistic and... Uh, it's it's always what I've tried to do, and uh, you know if I can leave anything with them, it's it's that 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 feeling of feeling up after a show and being able to just release all of the tensions and all the which pressures. is what you do too. You do that also on stage. You're going through that. This is what I'm trying to do. Yeah, because yeah. no, I, I saw last time, and I was just saying to one of the guys who came over with us here to New York, that when I talked with you backstage at Croke, Croke Park last time before the show, you were very closed. You were very. Uh, closed into yourself yeah. and it was like you were plugged in the minute like five minutes later you were on that stage and it was the other Neil Diamond yeah you know it's, so as if you kind of hit the deepest energy you can connect with the minute you hit that audience exactly it's a different side and uh, it's a very safe place for me the stage uh, I know it well uh, I know who I'm with I know who I'm performing to and uh, it's probably the safest place that I can find. Are you a hard taskmaster? Are you autocratic? Do you tell people this is precisely what I want and we don't deviate from that? Uh, no. In terms no. of studio and or stage? Uh, I like to get the feeling that I'm looking for, but I'm not uh, rough. And, uh, you know, I always tell the band before the show or new members of the band, which we haven't had for 20 years because they've been with me for so long, but... You know, don't worry about being rough and or messing up. I'll be the first one to mess up, and you guys, you know, it's we're out there for a good time, and we're out there to to 
bring the audience along with us on that good time. So, you know, don't worry about the details too much. It's the big picture that we're looking for. And, uh, you know, that's usually the the process that I follow in uh, recording. In, in the studio, is it the same? Because I'd, I read some musicians saying that you would be pushing them for the 20th take on a guitar lick. Oh, yeah. They might tell you all the spontaneity is gone, Neil. We, we lost it somewhere along the way. And I think you said also at one point that the Brill Building syndrome of having to write so many songs and produce songs quickly sometimes works out better than having too long to ponder over a lyric and melody. Well, I do ponder over lyric, lyrics in particular for a long time because that takes time, but uh, melodies, they either come or they're not there. Uh, um, I, I will go for a lot of takes if we don't have it, if we don't get it. There's a lot of things you get in one or two takes Sometimes the musicians don't have it, and uh, we'll go for uh, 18, 20 takes. And uh, I've had some of the greatest musicians in the world saying to me, you know, I hate what I'm doing. And I would say, I don't care if you hate it. I love it, and you keep doing it. So shut up and play. You're paying the bills. <laughs> well, that's part of it, but, uh, you know. Okay, it's... all right. But did you ever listen back to any of the recordings, say, from the early 70s and go, that's a bit too stiff. Maybe we should have gone for an earlier take or... The something, the spontaneity of some of the other recordings, we we lost it there. Yeah, you, uh, you you one of the one of the difficulties of recording is you're stuck with something for a long time. Uh, I've been able to you know rationalize my way out of that by saying when I do it live, I'll do it again and I'll make these right. changes, et cetera, right. et cetera. But uh, no, you know I don't love everything that I've done in the past. Uh, maybe I could have gone for an earlier take or like right. another take okay. on some of them. But uh, these are decisions that you have to make right there and then, and you, you, you make your decision and you live with it. Okay. I'd like to play one of the early 70s live cuts, if you, but it's up to you which one we want to play. Where you, where we're just talking about this energy where you realize this is what I'm actually doing for people. But I don't want to play Brother, Loving, uh, Brother Loves yet. Play I Lordy. may end with that. Play which? Play Lordy. It's from uh, the first... Uh, from the Troubadour album, the Gold album, and it was my very first- Very early, very early live recording. My first live recordings, and this was the opening of the show, and uh, it give you an idea of the energy that, you know, we were able to put out. Comes in there? Yeah, okay, we're moving through it. Um, okay. You're actually sticking with the chronology, thank you. Because we could have jumped past uh, one of the next song I want to go into. Okay. okay um, Neil, we were talking earlier about your, the, the sense of that sense of isolation in Brooklyn Roads, the boy looking out onto the street. But you later said that when you wrote I Am, I said that it's a statement on my part for the first time in my life, which said essentially, I am, I exist, love me, accept me. It says all the things I needed as a child. It was the self-esteem I never had. Yeah, That was really a central in terms of, we won't go back onto the shrink's couch, but just expressing who Neil Diamond is in essence. That was a really pivotal song for you, wasn't it? Exactly. That song really really uh, dug deep and it, you know, I was seeing a shrink at the time and uh, <clears throat> that I think because of that, it made me dig really deeper. And uh, for some reason I've never remembered my dreams. So I, I, I used to go in and, and see my shrink and talk about my lyrics and show him, I read the lyrics and we'd discuss that. So uh, I got very heavily into the lyric part of, of writing at that time and uh, I Am I Said was a story that I wanted to tell, and I wanted to tell it as well as I could. It was a, the most difficult song I've ever written since then, or, you know, before then and since then. And uh, You mean with the pain involved in creating it? 
partly uh, that because you had to dig so much into yourself yeah. and, and be honest about it. And also I boxed myself in with rhyming patterns and things like that that were very, very difficult and complicated. Right. But I loved them and I didn't want to budge off of them and, and you know, take an easy way out. So, you know, it, it, I spent about four months daily, every day, five or six, seven hours a day, locked in a room, writing up hundreds of pages of, uh, of background essays on who I was and you know, to give me the raw material for the song. And uh, I think I nailed it pretty good. Although I'm criticized for the uh, no one heard it all, not even the chair line. People. Uh, oh, why? Because Eric, <laughs> chair can't hear. Yeah, chair <laughs> can't hear you. That. You know. <laughs> oh God! Don't they ever heard a poetic license? Let the guy go. <laughs> but again, my license was paid that year, and I. What the hell? But you were was that at the time you were working? Uh, you were working on a movie, or you were you were you were auditioning for Lenny or something? You were, you were in Hollywood. Was that a kind of further sense of isolation added That's to right. this uh, psychology, going to the shrink, and that at the time? I was doing a, not an audition. I was doing a screen test right. in front of cameras for uh, a movie that was uh, finally made, uh, starring Dustin Hoffman, called Lenny. It was a story of Lenny Bruce, was mm-hmm. who was a very radical comedian, and uh, uh, America was not ready for him. At, at that time, certainly not the old establishment of America. And uh, it was a great experience for me to do, but I finished the first scene or two in the screen test and uh, they took a break and I went to my, they had a little camper that I was in uh, to have a bite to eat and uh, I didn't eat. I picked up my guitar and I started writing I Am I Said. because. You know. Did you feel they weren't accepting you? Did you feel that this is really... Uh, was no, that, they, the... they weren't judgmental about right. me at all, but I was very judgmental. I did not like what I was doing. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing also. Right. I'd never been in front of the camera before. But uh, whatever pent-up emotions came from that morning of, uh, of work, uh, I, I I vented it in that song, and it was the beginnings of that song. And, uh, and can you, when you sing it now, can you still identify with the lost soul at the center of it? Or yeah. have you you've grown skins around the self that used to be then? Is it a younger self? Is it a well, self? I've developed out of that person. You know, yeah. um, I've lost between two shores. I'm no longer, finally, after all of these years, I finally took an apartment in New York City and, uh, you know, so I can come and live here again. All right. And okay. we'll see. The story continues. We'll see if you can go home again. But uh, uh, so there are a lot of things that uh, that I've outgrown. Right. Not that I've built up scales. And, okay. You know, because as a writer, you, you can't build up build up these kind of things. As around. You must be vulnerable and you must, uh, you know, that that's the way to really write honest music. Do you walk the Brooklyn roads again? If you saw that uh, kid looking out a window, would you recognize him? Absolutely. I see them all the time. I see youngsters, uh, writers. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I attended an awards dinner. There was a youngster from Brooklyn who had taken a bunch of awards. And uh, even though he was a black kid, it was me. Okay. You know, it right. was me. And I, I just embraced him and tried to give him as much encouragement as I possibly could. But uh, it was definitely me. Okay, for all people who may have felt or be feeling or may feel like this in future, let's hear I Am I Said, the original version. Okay. All right, we're doing well on time. I'm, I'm with you. Okay, good, thank you. Um, yeah. 
Neil Diamond. Uh, I've been listening to that song since it came out. Well, I bought the single, so uh, mm. I, I, I help pay your bills, no doubt. God uh, bless you. But I related also to the to the ache, as I think a lot of people at the center of it. But I also always felt myself that when you go, if, if you were feeling what you sing about in that song, you must have been hard to live with. I've always been hard to live with, and I still am. I'm a moody kind of a person. Uh, uh, and when I'm moody is the best time for me to write. So I may okay. be difficult for someone else, but it's darn good for my music. You know, up until last night, I was moody. I, I sang at the New York University uh, commencement graduation for about 5,000 graduates. And I wrote an original song for NYU. The president of the school called me months ago and asked if I would write something original. And I did, and I was very pleased with it. And we started it, and the piano, uh, the electric piano didn't work. It did, so I sang with a bass and a drum and the a group of kids behind me. And it was very upsetting to me because I wanted to make a good presentation okay. of the song. Uh, fortunately, the lyrics were quoted in the uh, in the New York Times today. Oh, okay. So I was I was very pleased about that. But I was still on edge all day because it hadn't come off well. All right. And I really worked on it and rehearsed with the band. So I I sat down on my little terrace at the hotel last night and I I wrote two other songs. They just came to me right. because. You know, and I felt better after that. Okay. You know? Would you choose, I think it's Leonard Cohen who had a lyric about kind of choosing a spirit that is calm or, or remaining creative. You have had, and I know you don't like to talk about your private life, but you've had marriages that failed. You talk about your first wife. Yeah. Would you, look, looking back, would you say, I would always choose the, to have the ability to write great songs rather than have a settled soul and spirit in a marriage or in a love affair? No, I would take a settled soul. Would you? Any day. No, the songwriting is a is a balm for all of these afflictions that I carry around with me, and right. thank God for it. But for me, I would I would prefer to be a happy, contented kind of a guy working at a job and uh, being happy. And uh, all right. you know, I adore my kids, and I, I fortunately have a very close relationship with all four kids. Um, but the agony that I went through and the two divorces that I went through is something that I wouldn't want to wish on anybody. It's still painful. And, uh, no, uh, I, I would prefer to have been a very settled, happy kind of a person. But we wouldn't have all those great sad songs. That's right. You wouldn't you know what have, I mean? but I would have been a much happier guy. <laughs> okay, so we're balancing A and B there's here. A, there's a balance. <laughs> so which songs, I mean, could we play a specific song that would reflect, I mean, there's lots of people, particularly in Ireland, who go through breakup divorces and stuff like that. Yeah. Would there any, any song we could play that, that accurately mirrors, I mean, if you know what I mean, or songs like that out of one of the breakups with stuff like that? Well, like the, after my first divorce, I wrote a song called Hurting You Don't Come Easy. All right. Uh, which kind of was about that, uh, that breakup in my first wife. And uh, let's see, the uh, Three Chord Opera album. Uh, uh, first track? I haven't played this song in years. Yeah, the first track. Yeah. That has that echo I heard. Absolutely. I mean, this is what it seems to be. Yeah. But, it, but you're, you're not just, and I think one commendable feature of your lyric writing is that uh, along the years, you don't just ex uh, write about your own pain. You will talk about the pain that you're causing other people. Yeah. You know, which is part of the honesty of having to look deep in that and I've heart caused of yourself. A lot of, I've caused a lot of pain for other people. And uh, 
you know, I'm constantly trying to make up for it uh, right. through my work, through the way that I live now. But, but when I'm people just, hear the songs, do they say, Neil, like maybe your children, if they were hurt by the breakup or your former wife, if they hear a song, would they say that eases it somewhat? Probably not. Okay. Probably not for the ex-wives, but uh, my kids have always loved me and they've always forgiven me. I've apologized to them numerous times for not being there all the time. But when I was there, I was there in every sense and they knew it and they still know it. All right. You know. There's a beautiful uh, uh, tiny piece on your box set uh, with I it's one of your daughters, isn't it? Which gave you the idea for Beautiful Noise. Right. Where you have that, you're doing the actual demo. And I would actually love to play that because we're talking about, we're talking oh, yeah, a very honest we level about your child. So t just lead us into this. I want to play that and then I'll play the, the full song. Well, you know, uh, after my marriage broke up, I could only see my girls when I came into New York or on very special times, you know, the, the courts to tell you when you can right. see your children, which is painful. Um, Having that dictated on you. Absolutely. But I had my two girls with me. They were mine for the weekend. And, you know, I took the biggest suite I could at the Sherry Netherland Hotel. And we had the best time. You know, we would take them to the biggest toy store in New York and say, whatever you want is yours. You know, and just spend as much time as possible with them and be with them. And uh, my parents were able to see them too. And uh, it was the family together. It was what I wanted and dreamed of. And uh, I was with the girls. Uh, we were coloring pictures and drawing and laughing. And just the three of us, uh, Ellie, Marjorie, and myself. And uh, right outside the window, there was a parade going by on Fifth Avenue. It was the Puerto Rican Day Parade, which was totally outrageous and right. colors and music and Latin and timbales and sounds going by. And we could hear it through the window. And while we were drawing, Marjorie said to me, Dad, what a beautiful noise. And, you know, I, I, I wrote it down immediately. I said, Marjorie, we're going to write a song called Beautiful Noise. It's a great, great idea. <laughs> we're going to write it. And we did. We, we sat down and... Uh, <laughs> I started playing and they were the background singers and my, my mom and dad were there and we just, boom, put it right onto tape. And this is what I'd love to play and we're going to play it now for people. This is that recording. That's sweet. Okay. Uh, okay, we're heading towards the end. Um, we okay? We're fine. Go as long as you want. Uh, okay, so we're co we're coming out of that. And uh, Neil, we just played that. You just told that gorgeous story about uh, that that joyful time with your daughters, and obviously they can shake you out of the shadows by just being around. Oh, it was great. <laughs> but there was another song which uh, I read again, the 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 angel above my head, which yeah. was about your dad, and you 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 wrote. I I don't know if it's true that it was rejected by at the time by your record company and the album it came from. Right. How must how did that feel when you were writing about something that was the prob the problematic issue of dealing with the death of your father was big enough? Right. Then you turn that into poetry, song poetry, and it's rejected. Were you uh, angry or were you hurt? I was both, uh, but I was r more angry than anything else. Okay. And uh, because I knew I could always, you know, I I wrote the song not to put it out or to I wrote it for myself and for the memory of my father, but. Uh, uh, I got into a big battle with the record company and the president of the record company, and he demanded that I take it out, and I gave him a couple of choice words in return. <laughs> take it out of an album, take or just take just, the, remove right. them from the album. Okay. I had done an, an entire album, and the, and there were some personal songs in it that he didn't want. And uh, you know, I had gone through this before, years before, and it was just, 
I didn't want to go through this again. I didn't deserve that. I'd paid my dues. I'd, yeah. I'd had plenty of hits for them. They'd made a fortune on me. And I didn't want it, and I got angry. So I left, and I sued them. Okay. I was still under contract with them for years, which was kind of like shooting yourself in the foot or cutting off your nose to spite your face, but I sued them. It was, you know, ridiculous. But you sue your own record company okay. while you're with them and while you have to be with them for years. Uh, and they didn't like that either, but they swallowed it, and uh, uh, he finally made me... Uh, I took out... Instead of four songs, I took two of them out. I kept two of them private. One was Angel Above My Head. Yeah. I forget what the other one was. Okay. And we reached a compromise because you, you have to compromise in some way. And uh, we went on with it. I never spoke to him again. He was eventually fired from the label. He sent me uh, his new address and phone number, which I promptly tore up and threw in my trash <laughs> bin. And uh, I've never spoken to him since. All right. Uh, you should have yeah. called your old friends, Bert Burns' old friends, to go around and deal with them. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> those guys were gone. They were long okay. gone, and I didn't want to bring them back into the picture. Okay, what I find interesting about that story is, I mean, I find personally, and I think a lot of your fans would agree, some of the most uh, resonant songs of your of your entire life are the ones that are most personal. So the idea that it would tell you to take from an album what, for most of us, works best from you, you know, seems like stupid. Well, I felt it was... Uh, it was I felt I deserved more than that. Right. Even if he didn't like the songs, even if they were not up. And, you Is know, that what he said? They weren't up? Did they want kind of... Nah, he was looking for an excuse. You know, okay. the presidents right. of labels and not music uh, makers. Right. They don't know about music. They know about business. So once they get into criticizing my songs and my music, it's, you know, don't bother me with that. I don't tell you how to market your records or sell right. your records. All right. Don't, t don't tell me about my songs. If I want it and it stinks, I want it. Okay. So uh, it was it was it was based on some of those basic. But they finally albums. released it. I mean, we can get it on the box set. Yes. And I would like you, to, you know, to tell me also about when you said it was for your father. What were you trying to deal with about your relationship with him when he died? What was the ache? What was the pain at the center of this? Well, or the celebration. I was trying to uh, reflect advice that he had given me. You know, which was. Be yourself, and uh, uh, if you want to be true to me, first you got to be true to yourself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, doesn't matter about anybody else, and uh, that's what I said in the song, and uh, I meant it, and I've always felt that way. He taught me that, and uh, it's the greatest thing he taught me, aside from loving me completely. Uh, All right. And uh, supporting me all the way. He okay. was he was a great dad, and I miss him so much. Okay, well, I'm going to play that for you now. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. And don't forget, if you want to read some of my articles about Neil Diamond and other artists, check my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.